Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it. We are continuing our look at Matthew uh, in his gospel, chapter 3 today, a portion of it. (laughs) In those days, we're beginning at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Well, there's an important detail already mentioned right there. There are two things, actually, that are mentioned right there. So what we get is, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And, and so where is he? That, that begs the first question, right? So it's west of Jerusalem. It's west. It's the western part of the province of Judea, which leads out to the Dead Sea. So that community, where John is, where he's preaching, it is among what's known as the Qumran community. So John is there in the wilderness, which demands that people come to him to hear him preach. And so basically, what the, the way the language is used here, the way the Greek is used for this word, John the Baptist came preaching. So when it says that he came, what it means is that basically he just appeared on the scene. So this is uh, typically dated around 26 or 27 um, A.D. when this happens, uh, based on John's age. He needs to be about 30 years old when it begins, because that's when when you're considered to, to have reached manhood at that time. And so it's likely that, that this is about the time John is 30. And remember, he's about six months older than Jesus. And so it, what it's what it's in intimating is that he appeared on the scene preaching. And, and it's an interesting thing, to say the least, that he's out here in the wilderness of Judea. Because, it, like I said, it's among the Qumran community. And who are the Qumran community? And how do we know anything about them? Well, we know things about them in multiple ways. But the Qumran community, why is it important? Why do I even bring that up? Well, it's because that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls are found. And so John is out where they are. Now, whether John's part of them, whether he's part of the Essenes, whatever, we have no earthly idea. What we do know is that it's odd that John, of all people, is out there in that place. And, and it's odd for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is John's father is a priest, which means John is of the priestly class and the priestly tribe. And so we know that that's true. So we, because we meet John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, while he serves as a priest in the temple. And, and so what we get then is John, who has obviously said, I'm going to reject that possibility for my life, and and I'm going to go do something totally different. And so what he is, is he's acting as a herald. The word for preaching here is keruso, which is uh, the, the basic word for preaching, but it has ancient roots that are different from what we know today as preaching. It means he's the, he's a herald with a message. And what that would typically mean is is that the, the person who would be a herald would be the one who is sent before another, typically a king. And he would do multiple things. He would announce the arrival of that king and thereby telling the people to prepare themselves for the coming of that king. That's one of the things a herald would do. A herald would also go before a king and send the word out before a king to to, to say, this is the law now. So any kind of edict of the king, anything like that, 
this herald would go. And the herald was sent with a message. And, and you know, you've seen old movies or pictures or whatever of a town crier, right? So somebody who goes out ringing a bell, this is obviously pre-internet, uh, goes out ringing a bell, proclaiming in the midst of the people a message. And that message is written on a scroll, typically. It's written, and and he's not doing it from the hip. He's reading that message. He's giving the message exactly as it was given to him. There's no room for him to interpret it. There's no room for him to change it in any way. No, he's got to give the message that he has been given, exactly that message. And so John is a herald. He is the one who goes before to prepare a people. And that's his whole job. And so he goes, he's in the wilderness of Judea, which, again, I said is the home of the Qumran community. And the Qumran community, the reason that, that, it, that I bring it up is because it's, I think that John is there for a reason. I'm not saying he's a member of the Qumran community, but he's certainly influenced by the Qumran community because what they are is, is sort of an apocalyptic or end times group of people. What they've done is they've seen the state of Judaism in Jerusalem among the priestly class, and they've rejected that. They've said, no, it's hopelessly corrupt, and and therefore we're going to pull ourselves away from that. We're going to participate in it at the level we have to to fulfill our obligation under the law. So they make the appropriate sacrifices that are required by the law because they're deeply devoted to the law. But they've separated themselves from the priestly class and from rabbinic Judaism because they feel like it's completely corrupt. And so they've come out here and to be a purity sect. And there, there's um, conflicting information about this part in, in, in a slight way. When I say this part, I'm talking about they lived celibate lives. And it, and it seems to have been a community of primarily men, if not exclusively men. However that there was provision for some to have wives and procreate for the continuation of the sect. Now, they disappear right after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And so they would have cheered the destruction of the temple because of the corruption that they saw there. However, they weren't able to exist much longer either. They were ultimately going to be quashed uh, unless the Romans were defeated in that interim period. They, they separated themselves and lived communally. They had everything in common. They were a monastic-type group. They, they worked all day. They, they worked, and, and when they were together, they fellowshiped, and they studied together. And they had a teacher the teacher of righteousness was what that person was called, and, and that teacher taught the entire community. And their belief was the Messiah was coming soon, and the Messiah was going to have two basic features. He was going to be of the priestly line of Aaron, but he was also going to be of the line of David. So he would be the prophet, I mean, he'd be the priest and the king simultaneously. Being a reason for a prophet, a prophet would go before but there wouldn't be a reason for a prophet in the end times. But they were there waiting for Messiah to come. And so it's interesting to me that John appears in the wilderness of Judea, out where that community is, and his expectation is people will come out to him. And he 
likewise, had separated himself from the priestly class, also from the rabbinic class, also from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So while it, it may not be that John was part of the Qumran community, he actually shared many of their attitudes towards the rest of Judaism. His attitude towards Judaism was very similar to theirs. We see in, in the writings about John how skeptical he was concerning the Judaism of his day. He thought it was hopelessly corrupt, and the only way out of that was literally for people to come out to him in the wilderness of Judea to hear his message. Coming there actually proved at some level that, that they got it. And they understood. They were drawn to John. You had to be drawn to John by the Holy Spirit because nothing about John would have drawn you to himself. So John's message was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what the Qumran community thought it, it meant, which is that, that the end times were near. And, and God was coming, and what would happen in their belief system was exactly what would happen in our belief system. That, that is, the righteous would be found fit for the kingdom of heaven, and, and the wicked would be judged, and they would be burned with fire, and then they would be judged and dealt with by angels. That's what they believed. And so when John preaches this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's at one with the message of the Qumran community. But he's also doing the job of a herald proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, get yourselves ready for this kingdom to come. And then Matthew tells us, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And that's from um, Isaiah 40, which begins with this, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, Isaiah speaks those words to the community in exile in Babylon and says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill brought low. That uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what's the message of John? The message of John is the same as the message for Isaiah, except it's in reverse. When Isaiah proclaims this, he's proclaiming the Lord will come on the highway, and he will bring the people in his train, and he will take them back to Jerusalem. John proclaims a different thing. John says that that the uh, the that in in contrast to God's warfare ended and an iniquity pardoned, received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. John says God's judgment is coming again on Jerusalem. He's not speaking tenderly to Jerusalem. He's doing exactly the opposite of that. And his proclamation says the kingdom of God is at hand and you people aren't ready to receive it. So it's the opposite in many ways of the message of <clears throat> Isaiah 40. So he's saying prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight means get yourselves right with God. Examine yourselves and change your way of life to comport it with the law of God. So repent of your sins is where it all begins.
So John's preparing a people for the coming of Messiah, which means the coming of the kingdom of heaven. John believes end times are coming. Jesus is going to come, and he or Jesus being the person we know. But John's saying Messiah is going to come, and when he does, you better be ready for that, because if you're not ready for that, you're not going to participate in the life of the world to come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, John believes this is the establishment of the eternal kingdom. And his concern is twofold. One, it's to align himself with God, which is to stand back, stand apart, and see things for what they are on the ground. And John sees corruption. John sees sinfulness. And so he's proclaiming to, the, to those people the holiness of God and the necessity of their sanctification. Well, at the same time, he is proclaiming to the people that the kingdom of God is in hand, therefore be ready. Now, his message is very short. It's very simple. There's not a lot to John's message. He's preaching in the same kind of style that, well, Jonah did when he went to the Babylonians. What did he say? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. John says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The word repent means turn around. You're going in the wrong direction. So repent of your sins doesn't mean just confession. There's more to it than that. Repentance for sin is is seeing it for what it is and knowing this is a dangerous way for me to continue in my life. Therefore, I'm going to turn and go the other way. It's as though you were about to walk off a precipice. Then you see the danger that you're in and you turn and go the other way. So what John is saying is you're sinful. Repent. He says, for the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven is in hand. And then, then Matthew gives us the citation that shows us why he's doing this and who he is, what his mission is as a herald. And then we're told John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Well, Josephus tells us of one called Banas, B-A-N-A-S, who, who has a very similar look at the same time and in the same place, because Josephus, the historian, goes out and spends three years in the desert with this Banas. And so the, the speculation is this could possibly be John the Baptist of whom he speaks here. But we don't know that. But but he tells about a man who only wore clothing made from trees and, uh, and and vegetation, and that he ate a very simple diet like John is eating here. And, and there's also intended in this about the camel's hair coat and the leather belt round his waist. There's obviously a connection that's intended for us to see between John the Baptist and the prophet Elijah. Why would that be? Well, in Malachi, it says that Elijah comes first prior to the end times and the Messiah. That's the reason they leave a seat for Elijah at a Passover Seder in the belief that he will come first. And Jesus later is going to say that Elijah has come and he was rejected. His message wasn't heard, which pretty much suggests that my message is not going to be heard either. But but John is clearly this Elijah figure. You know, in other Gospels, they ask the question, are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? Now, the point of that is not to say that, that Elijah has been reincarnated in bodily form. The intention, the understanding within certain parts of Judaism, mostly Kabbalistic, so mystical Judaism, 
is is that souls are reincarnated and reinfleshed. So the soul of Elijah would be reincarnated is the idea behind that. So they're asking him, are you the reincarnation of Elijah's soul or one of the prophets? And that's why Herod later believes that when he sees Jesus, that he is looking at a reincarnated John the Baptist. Different physical form, same spirit. Now, what actually is foretold of John, that he will work in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will be like Elijah, which is not the same as the reincarnation of Elijah. The same spirit of God will rest upon him is the idea. But the funny thing is, is is that John is all proclamation. We don't have a single uh, place where we see anything like a miracle worked by John. So while he may be in the spirit of Elijah, he didn't operate in the same miraculous power as Elijah. There's no sense of John saying, hey, I'm going to shut up the skies and there'll be no, no rain for a long period of time. There's no sense of I'll open the skies, I'll raise anybody from the dead, any of that stuff. It's the proclamation and the power and the spirit that attended the proclamation of Elijah that's there. And so there's an intentional thing here in Matthew's description of John that points us to a comparison with Elijah. And every Jew who read this would have known it immediately. And they would have connected it with that prophecy from Malachi that he comes first. So Matthew's not saying it directly, he's saying it indirectly, but no less clearly for those who are familiar with the Word of God. And then Jerusalem and Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. He's not going to them. They're coming to John. And so we see people leaving the city and going out into this wilderness around Judea and going out to John. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So, so they are coming to John. Their, their consciences are being pricked by the word of God and by the Spirit of God, and they're confessing their sins. And we see in other places where you get soldiers, you get all kinds of people going to John, and and they're confessing their sins, but then their next question is, well, then what then shall we do? Life begins after I come up out of the waters of baptism, and then how do I live that in a different way? Tell me the ethics and morality of how I'm to continue in the profession I'm in. They, they didn't understand themselves as called out of those professions. They were called into that profession, and then there's got to be a different way of acting. I recognize at some level, is what they're saying, that my duties in these roles conflict with the law of God. So how am I to live that out? How do I continue to be this person and do so in a godly way? And John tells them exactly how to do that. So you get all these people from the region. Apparently there's a spirit moving, and they would have known the story of John because it happened in a very public way. The birth of John did. And so they they were then going out. They were confessing their sins, and they were being baptized. Well, who was baptized in that time in, in Judaism? Gentiles. It was part of their um, conversion as proselytes. They were baptized for sins. Jews weren't baptized. Only the Gentiles were. So here John's treating them as though 
They were Gentiles. It's a deep, deep conviction of sin and a deep conviction of sin, both on John's part about the sinfulness and the corruption of Judaism, and then also on their part because they were willing to allow themselves to be baptized and treated like Gentiles. This is not a mikvah that they're undergoing, which is a ritual purification. No, John's treating them like they're Gentiles here. Like, no, you've got to be converted to true Judaism. You've got to be converted and brought in, and this is the way you do it. You're a new creation at this point. Even though you were born into the right family and into the right religion, there's still a conversion that has to go on, and that's the conversion of the heart that recognizes that while I may be a Jew in my birth and in my flesh, I'm not so in my heart and in my spirit. And so I'm willing to undergo this baptism in order that that I'm signaling to the world that I'm a new creation, that I am now committed to Judaism in the same way that a proselyte was, somebody who from the outside saw the truth, believed the truth, and decided, decided, not born, but decided to become part of that community. And that's the, the, the hurdle John is posing for them here. It's not an easy thing. It's not easy believism. They've got to swallow their pride in order to be able to do this in the same way that John has swallowed his pride, as in, I could have been a priest, and I probably could have been at the top of the ladder, but no, I'm choosing to align myself with God's purpose and God's plan in a way that that makes me, well, an oddball, and I'm in an odd place, but, but, but I'm calling them out of that Judaism and into a new thing. And that's John's message, and that's why he proclaims it where he does. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.